This episode, like all the others, brought to you by beer. Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to this, another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I am your host, Mike Turner. And with me is a man who's not afraid to take a point-blank shot to his midriff to save one for the team, Producer Mason. How you doing today, P- Producer Mason? Uh, just fine. Um, yeah, make sure that shot's at least <laughs> just 22 rimfire, though. I don't want anything more than that. I can't guarantee anything, but still, take one for the team. <laughs> today, we're here to talk about, well, the Gold Cup. The glories of CONCACAF. Well... It might not be the glories, but it was a knockout round game between the U.S. men's national team and Jamaica. And a good test for this young, inexperienced, and perhaps uh, second-tier U.S. men's national team that has been brought to this tournament. The U.S. uh, came out in a 4-3-3 formation or a 4-3-2-1, depending upon how didactic you want to be about that. I, myself, don't think too much about it formations are fluid, but in this case, everything seemed to be pretty structured rather than more open. We had, uh, of course, Matt Turner in goal again. We had James Sands and uh, Miles Robinson as the center backs. Sands playing as a true center back, not a third, say, six in a three-man formation, but he's in back as a two-man center back rotation. Uh, Shaq Moore again and uh, Sam Vines again as your uh, as your uh, left backs and right backs respectively and then we had uh Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Legette and uh Jean-Luca Busio uh in the midfield, Matthew Hoppy again playing on the wing. He's getting starts over and over in his not true position. Uh the other wing was the returning from injury Paul Ariola and uh, Daryl D.K. gets a start as the lone starter up front in the number nine position as a lone striker. First time D.K.'s got to start as a lone striker. A lot of people have been calling for it. I think Burhalter wanted to see it, and we got to see it in this game. Uh, the game was played in Dallas late, as anybody that watched it knows. Uh, and they laid grass over turf. This has been done before by U.S. Soccer. It never plays well. This field was a dodgy mess. Let's be quite frank about it. It was fucking atrocious. Well, possibly not as bad as some of the CONCACAF fields that uh, the U.S. will play on in travels across World Cup qualifying. In that way, it was a very good setup to train a young team. Unfortunately, (laughs) uh, our preferred A team that's much more technical than these guys uh, didn't get this chance to play on this field. And it did affect the technical aspects even of this team and how Burhalter's system of putting pressure on the opponent using the ball, they just weren't able to do it, especially early on until they got a little adjustment, but they couldn't trust the pass. In other words, they, they were busy watching the ball once they learned what it was like to their feet to see if it's going to bounce or roll or do whatever it does. Uh, so they couldn't see where the other player was, and it showed. The field, not to make it, it was the same for both teams, but Jamaica doesn't play the same sort of technical uh, pushing the ball up in the attacking third as the U.S. does. They're more of a counter-attacking team. 
uh, Jamaica, for their benefit, did come out in a high press with a ton of energy on this. And there was some drama in the first 20 seconds, much like the Canada game. In this case, it was Jamaica came out. U.S. just couldn't get the ball out. They kept blocking uh, passes by uh, the defensive backs. And they got a shot on goal. It was offsides. Turner made the save, but it was a shaky moment and made everybody on Twitter, you know, a little verklempt. But uh, it all settled down as the game went further forward. Well, I say settled down. It wasn't like Jamaica was just down our throats. The game never settled down. Jamaica came out just full of energy. They had high pressure, a lot of pressure on the ball every time the pass was there. They seemed to have bigger feet than normal, seemed to block every pass with a uh, clip of the toe or something else. And it was a chaotic scrum, uh, very much out of the, say, Red Bull football group uh, playbook. New York Red Bulls, uh, Red Bull, Red Bull Salzburg, uh, do play this sort of style that is just chaotic. Break everybody down. Nobody can get flow or rhythm and then see what happens. Jamaica came out on this. After a couple of minutes, the uh, young U.S. team seemed to adjust. And probably because there's so many MLS players in this game that are used to playing New York City Red Bulls. Or also Matthew Hoppy playing the Bundesliga that play this sort of style to degree. They seem to get it, adjust to it, and kind of like it. Yeah. Um, that adjustment, though, they were still not making very wise decisions with their passing. And it doesn't help that the surface was messing up their passing as well. Um, I, I found it was quite noticeable that, especially in the first, first half of the first half, I'll say, um, Almost every pass was under hit, and there were some un- genuine under hit passes, uh, you know, unwise passes, but these aren't amateurs. They would not be under hitting every pass. Yeah, I did fe- think the field was slow. We've had times in the past where we blame the team for being slow. In this case, the field seemed to be slow. Uh, change field of motion from the left to the right side, and the pass just. If it got there, it had a strange bounce. If it was on the ground, it just never got there, or it was there late. It took time to adjust, and like I said, the U.S. being their system under Greg Berhalter being much more technical seemed to affect them more than Jamaica. Jamaica had their own problems with passes going awry, and when they had chances on a run, they lose a touch in the box, whether through their level of talent or because of the field, it's hard to say. But I say that the field... Did not make for the best game in the world. Given how this team is to set up depth for World Cup qualifying. Also gives Burhalter a chance to see what's going to happen in World Cup qualifying. He's played in it before, but a long time ago. On dodgy pitches in Central America, or in this case, in the U.S. Uh, gives it a chance to make adjustments for that. and Maybe a plan B. Can't say that Burhalter's had a lot more plan B than bringing in subs to change the structure of play in the Nations League and here. But in both cases, the teams haven't played together a lot in these setups. So making adjustments on the fly perhaps isn't as easy as we think. You know, they do it on their club team, but they haven't done it together. So the coach might be a little uh, hesitant to make sure that uh, everybody knows their assignments and what they're going to do and get a chance to work on those. Uh, we'll see. Perhaps I'm being a little 
too apologetic for that, but I can see where that could happen. Uh, the game, as the game went on, it was a scrub mess, and in the first half, it looked like Jamaica was on the front foot, but actually, in the run of play throughout the first half, say up until about the 60-65th minute, uh, the U.S. actually had better chances. Andre Blake and Matt Turner both made a couple of saves. Blake, a couple of great saves in this, especially, I remember Hoppy had a fantastic shot, and Acosta had him beat, and it just went over the bar in the first half. Uh, those would have made things a lot easier in this game, but after the half, it was still scoreless draw, and second half, still much of the same, just a scrum in the midfield, Jamaica on the counter, U.S. on the counter just couldn't seem to get the pass through. It's like it's slow, and Jamaica always could get a toe on it. It's what it seemed to me. But uh, Halter did make a change, and his subs pretty much have been spot on throughout the Nations League in here with the ability to change the game. In the, what was it, the 60, 62nd minute, brought on Christian Roldan in the midfield, Giasi Zardes came in for Daryl Dike, and uh, that's when the game changed. Uh, observers could also note that Jamaica seemed to get tired. They came out with a just a ton of energy and were ready to play and they kind of burned themselves out had a couple of injuries notable one to Alvis Powell uh MLS player he came out his replacement got up to speed very quickly in this chaotic game but uh you, you could tell it was taking a toll on Jamaica they were doing a lot of extra work while the U.S. were controlling them while still playing in their game so it was tough that Jamaica was playing making a game of it but the U.S. was handling everything, and that kind of is the story of this game. As I go down, uh, Rodon especially seemed to settle down the midfield. He was able to put his foot on the ball, uh, take control of what was going on. Everybody else got a chance to center. He kind of did what he failed to do in the Canada game, I think. Was it Canada? or? Yeah, it was the Canada game. Uh yeah, Canada, but Canada was pushing with perhaps a lot more talent than Jamaica on that. Uh, yeah, he did a better job. There's a few. We'll go through each player, and we'll talk a little bit about them a little later on when we get done with the uh, game rundown. Um, Jossi Zardes came in for Daryl DK. DK had one breakaway, didn't do a very good job on that. Got a nice uh, defensive stop on uh, by O'Neill Fisher. Uh, from Jamaica on him so he couldn't advance. But he didn't do a lot in this game. It's important to remember that uh, this game actually marked to the day, I believe, of his first professional appearance ever. And he's played almost nonstop since, being with Orlando or with Barnsley in the championship in England. He does look tired. Uh, He looks like he's had one year of professional experience. He's a great talent. Uh, he's been pushed to the limit to see what he can do. Maybe we've seen what his limit is now. And that's part of the point of this Gold Cup squad is to find depth and who can break out. DK, uh, in particular, didn't have a great game. Uh, Matthew Hoppy, on the other hand, played out on the wing. He, from the round of play, perhaps had an up and down game doesn't seem to really know the pos- positional play of the role of the Burhalter system on the wing. It's not something he's used to. He's a striker for Schalke. 
no matter how bad they are. But he kept trying stuff, sometimes for good or sometimes for bad when he tried to dribble past five guys in his own side of the field, lost the ball, and yeah, I believe it was Reed from Jamaica had a shot that he scuffed, and nothing came of it, but that was yeah. noticeable. Yeah, that was, uh, he tried to get way too fancy in the box. Uh, he did cut down two defenders, but yeah, he had five around him, and that third yeah. one he did not beat. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't looking for a pass out of it. He just tried to take them all on. That being said, he was the spark. He was the one player trying to make things happen. Uh, good or bad, it was important, and it's good to see. He keeps doing it. He keeps being the guy that's threatening anywhere on the pitch. Kind of like he did when he subbed in for on the, in the Canada game. Yeah, there it was just get the ball out of the, the half field, out of the U.S. end. He did a good job of that, taking it forward. Then he'd usually try to do too much. Uh but he got the ball out of the end. The U.S. couldn't do it by passing in that game. In this game, the U.S., uh, they had their chances. let say Jamaica overran them. There's no way. The U.S. always seemed to be in control. And once Roldan and Zardes came in, Zardes making the runs in the box, U.S. keeping control of the ball, Jamaica looking to get tired. Let's not underestimate that there as well. That was part to play. But the U.S. were looking more and more dominant more and more goal dangerous and eventually in the 83rd minute uh christian Roldan puts a very nice high lob into the mix right in front of the box zardes is making a run in hoppy's coming from the outside on the left andre blake who to my mind been very good in jamaica came out to bust up the cross he didn't get there zardes seemed to be in his way or grabbed his attention Hoppy, I don't think he realized he was on the other end of that ball. He got a head on it. U.S. score, 83rd minute, and from there, closed out the game. That's the story of the game, basically. Broke a game wide open that looked like it was on cruise control into extra time. Yeah, it, it, it was looking like extra time, but the U.S. was looking more and more dominant. Uh, they never looked flustered in this game. They did look flustered against Canada. They did at times look a little flustered against Haiti. Now, Martinique posed no threat, so there was nothing to take from that game. But in this game, the U.S. seemed to be okay. Yeah. Uh, Jamaica's got talented players. They've got athletic players. They've got tall players. That played into a lot of this as well. Uh, but the U.S. defense held. Jamaica wasn't very clinical in front of goal. They had a couple of shots. Turner had to make a couple of nice saves. He didn't have to make as many saving saves, let's say, than uh, Andre Blake did for Jamaica. Uh, Worrisome. You know, everybody on the U.S. side was sweating, but they didn't seem out of control. They seemed in control of the game. Yeah, it was much less weathering the storm, and it was kind of, like I said, on cruise control. Yeah, who knows if they debunker down more against Canada or learn the lesson? We won't know. We don't. We didn't learn that from this game. One goal did seem to make the difference, though, and that proved to be the point. So, moving on in the podcast, uh, let's take a look at some of the players, how they reacted, what happened during the game. First of all, on the good side, well, well first of all, I have to say the defense. The defense in this tournament. Uh, given how much the A-team in the Nations League seems shaky, this one seems tight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially how much it was tested in that Canada game. It was tested quite a bit here as well. 
they seem really good on defense. Oh, they have not given up a goal from the run of play. Uh, there was that one penalty against Martinique that didn't matter much other than the U.S. couldn't draw against Canada. Might have changed that game a little. Not necessarily for the better. Uh, but uh, the defense has been very solid. In this game, Miles Robinsons and James Sands seem to make a very good team. Uh, Burhalter mentioned it in uh, his comments after the game. He said Sands seems to read the game very well and get in the right positions and smell out trouble. Whereas Robinson, his one-on-one defending is great. He's quick, he's fast, he's athletic, and he can recover in a big hurry. And I think those two are a couple of the ones that have made a big impact for a chance to make the World Cup qualifying team. Uh, Sands, for being a center back, he's now proved he can do it in a two-man setup, not a three, which he's used to playing for New York City FC. And we know him about, or a low-lying defensive midfielder, say the six. Uh, That versatility shores him up pretty well and his distribution to get a chance to play in the World Cup qualifying team. Robinson's playing in a position as center back that is in need of some depth and they could really use his one-on-one defending and uh, his athleticism and his ability to recover, especially if the uh, wing, uh, the defensive backs on the A-team are going to push so far forward and not really take care of their defensive roles as well as we saw in the Nations League. Robinson has a real chance of getting in that squad for that. A kind of buffer against them stretching their lines. Yeah, and, and both those players could have a role to play in a, say, a three-man defensive back if Perrault wants to do that. And that sort of flexibility is how you get on a small roster for a heavy rotation tournament like the World Cup qualifying is going to be with a lot of three games in a one-week window with travel. There's going to be a lot of rotation. Depth is very important in World Cup qualifying. Take a look at some of them. The defense overall was good. Robinson was good. Sands. Matt Turner just stopped everything. He hasn't given up a goal from the right of play. Uh, He hasn't been asked to really do a lot of distribution other than the Haiti game yet, uh, which is his one fallback. He's looked very good, very solid. And that gives the defense a chance to try things because they know Turner can stop the shots. That's important. Mm Mm-hmm. He didn't have a lot of, I won't say big saves, he did have big saves. He didn't have a lot of, like, spectacular saves, I suppose. Right. They all seem more or less kind of routine, um, but he stopped every one of them. Yeah, the, even the diving save, it was from a long distance. He had a chance to get his feet right and made a diving save. Yeah, it looked really good, but he stopped it no problem, and it didn't seem like it was that much of a that much of a danger to him, as yeah. much as a shot like that. He had it be a danger. Yeah, he had it covered. Kellen Acosta didn't seem to hook up on a lot of passes, but he just seemed to be in control. Uh, Better showing than he had in Canada. A lot of these players did. Could have something to do with the level of the competition. We'll find out as everything shakes out in World Cup qualifying how that how that level within Concacaf shakes out. Yeah. I liked Acosta. He seemed to be kind of anywhere that something good was happening. Yeah. Um, th- that, 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 that's not to really, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much, but um, it seemed like every time something good was about to happen, it started with the announcer saying Kellen Acosta. Yeah. 
uh, passing out of the midfield. Like I said, it was a scrum. Passes were missed. He was part of that, but for the most part, he did well. He started out the deep-lying six-roll with uh, Gianluca Busio being up front. Busio looked a little uncomfortable up there, which is, that's where he started. He's a technical player. He just didn't seem to hook up, didn't feel comfortable under pressure. It seemed to be an off game for him in that way. Later, when Roldan and Zardes came out, they changed the format, uh, the formation uh, hair. Uh, Busio went back to the six. Uh, Acosta went up. And when those changes and those subs were made, that's when the game changed. That's when the U.S. took control of this game through dominance, maybe perhaps rather than scoring. But it uh, made everybody feel a lot more comfortable. Matthew Hoppe, well, he scored the goal. Already said he added that spark to the game. Uh, Positionally, there was one time in the box, it was him and DK ended up in the same spot for a ball. Doesn't seem to really know what he's exactly supposed to do on the wing, but it doesn't seem to stop him. He's just trying to make things happen. And not afraid to make a mistake. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, on the goal, um, I think the, not even necessarily the charitable read, just kind of the read I have is that um, Zardes, who was kind of um, almost seemed more like the intended target, um, had kind of pulled the defenders towards him and pulled up Blake's attention as well. Um, but when I was looking at it, that ball was sailing over him. He wasn't going to get to it, at least not the kind of jump that he took. Hoppy came charging in and and took command of it and nailed it home. Whether that play was set up like that or the this is the more uh, cynical read that Hoppy was playing out of position and kind of took that from Zardes, I don't know. I know which way I lean because it looked really good that, that Zardes had picked all the defenders and opened up this massive lane for Hoppy to charge in and nail that one in. But... Um, it, 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 he got the result yeah. at the end of the day. It seemed like the ball sailed a bit for Zardes and for Andre Blake. Mm-hmm. He was a little low on that. Zardes was a little off. Uh, Zardes is certainly the one that got Blake's attention. He was up front. Blake didn't get to the ball. It looked like he had his eye on Zardes. Didn't realize Hoppy was come flying in off of a run into the back post. And he was there for the header when it missed both of them. Yeah, both of them. It, it looked like a pick and roll. Yeah, it did. I don't think it necessarily was. It certainly wasn't set up that way because it was not a corner or a set piece is from it, the round of play. Yeah. But Roldan uh, was very important here. He put a dangerous ball away from the immediate range of the goalkeeper where he had men in the box. That cross was of a higher quality than we'd seen from, say, Shaq Moore putting in just you know, just blind balls into the box earlier yeah, in the it, game. Yeah, Shaq Moore, he, he put balls in, and he put a lot of balls in, but he basically just put them into the mixer. Yeah. Roldan had a what was close to a precision strike. Um, actually, if, if Hoppy was the intended target to make that run, it was a precision strike. It was right on his forehead. Yeah, I don't know if necessarily Roldan had anybody picked out, but the quality of his cross was high. And... Uh, and he put it where it was dangerous, and it proved to be extremely dangerous and ultimately fatal for Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
those were the better players I saw. I didn't mention Christian Roldan, but after everything we said, he had a good game. I Once he came on, I saw how he took control. Everything settled down. He put in that great cross. The game just seemed to change, whether that is by his influence or Berhalter said that part of the game plan was to see if the younger starters could hold down the game and then bring in Zardes and Roldan as the old experienced players to take care of the game. And that is exactly how it played out. Whether that was Berhalter's plan or he's making himself look good, I don't know. But that is exactly the way that the game played out. Players that were just, nah, you know, kind of middling. Shaq Moore, uh, Sam Vines, they were the defensive uh, halfbacks on this game. They didn't do anything that really stood out badly. And as a defensive player, that's probably the best thing. They were kind of invisible. They didn't make a huge impact on the offensive side. But the defense got another clean sheet. They're on the defensive side. Maybe I'm a little harsh by putting them just meh. They did their job. Uh, Gianluca Buzio. Man, after Roldan and Zardes came in and he got a deep line roll, he seemed more comfortable considering he hasn't played there that much for club. Starting to do a little for the country. Uh, he was better than against Canada. He took on defensive challenges and held them off. But off, on the ball, the defensive players often can just sh- shove him off with a shoulder block and they're off with the ball. He's got to get stronger. Yeah. His technical ability is better. He's gloriously young. This might be a little step up above where he's at. He was getting bullied. A little bit. Not as much in this game as against Canada. And uh, he was better, especially defensively, in a higher role than he had played earlier in a back role. Yeah, and I do mean, like, bullied, like, physically. Yes. Um, Because, like, yeah, he did have some really good, like, off-ball defensive work. Actually, at times, flashes of really great off-ball defensive work. But when it came for him to defend his possession, he would, like, like a bully shoving a nerd into the locker, he would just get pushed off. But it does... Not official yet, but it does seem like he's going off to Venezia, Venice in the in Syria, where you can get away with being a technical ball hawk without being a heavy duty. Uh, should be beneficial to him playing in that sort of system. It seems to fit his style of play as well. And again, he's so young; he's still got a lot to learn. Uh, let's not be too young. hard. Yeah, there's there. There's so much to learn. We're learning a lot internationally. Hardly any of these guys ever played internationally before this tournament. We're learning so much about them, good and bad. Only like three of them are older than me. But they're already getting their start at 18 to 24, their first international caps in this tournament. And that's what this was for. So Berhalter could learn things from depth, both good and bad. And apparently he's starting to learn some. I made this joke um, off mic before we started, but uh, it seems like the way that um, the uh, soccer Twitter and the podcast Intelligentsia talk about these players, it's like as soon as they turn 25, they need to be taken out behind the shed with the shotgun. And it's like they're they're kids. Some of them are literally kids. It's yeah, they'll come up uh, in another play. I'm going to have a little bit later on that in the um, just meh middling rate. I have for him. Uh, I had Giassi's artist. He did make a good run on that. He was active. But did he do too much? No. 
wasn't really his fault, not a play coming in. Uh, but he wasn't terrible either. And Reggie Cannon came on in the 80th minute just before the goal. I've got him there. He's basically down a tick because he came in as a late sub. But there was a couple of plays in the defensive area where he'd take the ball away from someone and hold position. At the end of the game, when they're going, when Jamaica's going for a goal, he made a couple of plays that were very important. But he only played for 10, 15 minutes, so it's hard to give him a higher rating. Now, on the bad side, Daryl DK just didn't have a good game. He wasn't threatening. He didn't do too much. Big body in the box. Looks tired. Looks a little overmatched. Like I said, who's going to matter in a couple of months when World Cup qualifying comes around? We want, he fits the profile what we want from another nine. I just don't think he has the experience yet. He's getting there. His future is full on ahead of him. Yeah, I think that this might be the person you were talking about when I said that they, some of them were literally kids. (laughs) And, uh... Yeah, he's not as young as Busio. He did go to college, but he just started his professional career. He just started his international career. Maybe he's not ready for World Cup qualifying or the World Cup, but he may very well be straight up ready to be the striker come the next World Cup and 2026, uh, the next Gold Cup and the 2026 World Cup. He's one to watch. He's got talent. We know it. He's just got to put it all together. Give the boy some time. He'll get there. Uh, Sebastian Legette, I've got in the bad area. He doesn't seem to be the same sort of player this summer, either with the A team or the B team that we've seen previously. We know he's got game. We can trust him. He's just off form. Plus, he hasn't played for his club in how long. He's been away with the national team now for, seems like, months. Uh, but he is a veteran presence. He does get the ball in positions. He to help other players with positional play. He's taken on that leadership role. I do believe, as a lot of other people have commented, that uh, he looks better with better players around him rather than have it funneled through him. That's not his game. He's a glue-type guy. Him and rolled on. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were talking about uh, during the Nations League, uh, I referred to him as a kind of an anchor in one of the games. And he's kind of trying to do that except what he what he's anchoring is a much different thing than what he was anchoring there and uh it kind of shows yeah the anchor that you're referring to was not what he was he was taking all of the corners on the set pieces and they were terrible <laughs> uh you've got busio who's very good at something like that vines who's also very good at putting in those passes there was other options they did put Vine ins later in the game over Legette because Legette just the didn't have piece, it going on in this set game. pieces have not been good at, for the for the U.S. through this whole tournament, really. No, and the uh, Walker Zimmerman not being there. Remember against Haiti, he hit the bar twice on headers from corners. Mm-hmm. He's what probably their best threat. Now he's gone. He his injury he took in the game against uh, Canada. Uh, has taken him out of the tournament to be replaced by Henry Kessler of the New England Revolution. Kessler didn't get play in this game. He just showed up. We'll see if he gets any play. I mean, we're going to the semifinals now. Uh, the time for experimentation may be getting more replaced by a chance to win the tournament or get that much-wanted final against Mexico for that experience for these guys. And that's very important. Mm-hmm. So that runs up the game. The players, how it went. 
Uh, biggest takeaway is the defense seems so solid, so much more solid than the A-team did in the Nations League. Uh, they're more cohesive. They get back. They're able to deal with pressure. They're not as offensive, so they're not pushing as far forward. Uh, the center backs, especially Robinson's able to snuff out things better than McKenzie showed in the Nations League. Uh, keep an eye on it as it goes forward. Because the next game is Thursday against Qatar. Or as Mason calls them, Qatar. Yes. Uh, they did play El Salvador in the uh, knockout round. That was a good game. <laughs> Qatar just was so good in the early going. Just getting on the counter and just clinical oh, in front of goal. Just beat the snot out of them. In the uh, first Half. In the first half, and then and, and, and then, then El Salvador showed the quality we've seen this tournament and yeah. came back and put them under the cosh. Yeah, if if uh, Cutter was beating the snot out of El Salvador in the first half, in the second half, El Salvador was beating the shit out of Cutter. They yeah. just couldn't get that last equalizer. Yeah, Qatar won that game three two. The difference being a very dodgy handball penalty. Uh, I mean, a weak call in my opinion. It hit his hand from close range and came off his own foot up onto his hand. I don't like that rule. I know FIFA doesn't particularly still like the rule. It's really hard to get the the laws of the game right on this and get everybody to call it. But that just did not seem right uh, in that case. But that's who we're going to play. The Qatar is the Asian champions. Don't sell them short. They beat Korea and Japan to win that. And Korea and Japan are good teams. So this is a good team. They're a veteran unit. They played together for a while, just under our radar. And uh, they have very exciting, very dynamic attackers, especially on the counter, that are clinical in front of goal. Uh, Keep that in mind. But also, as El Salvador showed at the end of that game, they're a little flaky in the back. Kind of like uh, Canada can be as well. They have their own points of weaknesses that can be taken over. The only problem is the U.S. hasn't been very dynamic in attack. It's pretty much been Matthew Hoppy, and that's it. Or starting off the game on the top foot with Shaq Moore making a run into the box, which happened the opposite way in this game. Jamaica just didn't close the deal. Mm-hmm. Or this game could have with the U.S. could have been a lot different. I mean, I I know which way I think that everyone would prefer that result to go, but I do think either way, that's going to be a fun game to watch. Well, it's basically Qatar's attack against the U.S. defense. Mm -hmm. Qatar's attack has been, I haven't watched a lot of games, so I'm walking on, I'm talking with very little evidence here, but it seems to be their attack is what's causing problems. They're clinical, they're incisive, uh, when they go to goal, they go to goal with yes. a purpose. They're also very creative. They don't really kind of stick to a a set plan. They have a lot of flexibility in their attack. Um, I'm also basing this on a, on little evidence. I only watched their game against El Salvador. But from even watching that game and um, hearing the announcers talk about their previous play, um, you know, in the, uh, you know, against like, Japan, South Korea, uh, Saudi Arabia, who they also... No, not Saudi Arabia. uh, The UAE, who they also knocked out in that tournament. Um, That seems to be kind of a feature of Cutter's Cutter's play. Yeah. They're a veteran unit that do play in Europe or worldwide. Some experience. 
uh, with talent, uh, well coached. They played together. It shows the U.S. team has none of those attributes. <laughs> what the U.S. team has is something that Qatar does not have: is a strong, almost impregnable defense, especially from the run of play. They're now four games in. Uh, they haven't shown, been able to score a lot of goals. Martinique doesn't count, but they haven't allowed any goals in. There's Martinique been, doesn't count. <laughs> Canada and Jamaica had the ball a lot. They never really got any tremendously great uh, options to score. Everything gets snuffed out before Matt Turner, and if they get by, Matt Turner's there. And that's important. That gives confidence to the defense to snuff these things out. Uh so we'll see how that goes. In Austin, not on this dodgy field in Dallas, so the U.S. can play a little more technical and show a little bit more what they have. But we're in the semifinals. We're playing against the Asian champions. That's why we're here. That's why this team is here. If they can win this game, go on to play Mexico, big deal. Big growth in the depth of the player pool. And they're so, so many of them are so young. It's very important. What's happened this summer for the U.S. men's national team player pool has been very important because they didn't get to play anybody. They didn't get to play together. So we'll look forward to that on Thursday. I can see the U.S. getting beaten this game by a more quality, more savvy opponent. I can also see him snuffing them out and seeing how it goes. It's going to be a good game to watch. We hope so. Also, in the other semifinal, we're going to have Canada versus uh, Mexico. Uh, Canada, well, we'll see what they're about. They played a good game against the U.S. They didn't win. Uh, They couldn't get past our defense. Mexico has a pretty good defense of their own. And Mexico has a great offense. And we'll see. The big telling point will be how often Mexico scores in the first 20 minutes. If they don't, this could be a different game. But Canada is missing some defensive pieces through yellow card accumulation. They have collected a ton of yellow cards in this game, which means they've been really, really trying to win games and getting a little out of control. It's been a thing that's going on for this team. We'll see how this goes. It'll be very fascinating as well. And to see where Canada, with all their young talent, learning how to play and yet to learn how to really win in these big matches. Let's see what they've grown and how they've grown. It's important for CONCACAF and World Cup qualifying. So that pretty much sums up uh, this week's podcast of the Gold Cup. You have anything additional to add, uh, Mason? Not really. Um, just a little note. Uh, as of recording this morning, the uh, the U.S. women's team in the Olympics had a nil-nil draw against Australia, and that uh, got them second in the group. They advanced. Um, that game was on at three o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> I didn't watch, watch, yeah. didn't watch those. But um, yeah, the U.S. women's go on, I believe, to face the Netherlands in the uh, in the uh, quarter- knockout first yeah, round of knockout, knockout rounds. Uh, for uh, in the uh, in the Olympics. Yeah, well, we I'd like to do more on the U.S. men's uh, women's national team. Excuse me, uh, but with the Olympics, with the Gold Cup going on, and just not being something I'm that knowledgeable about. Uh, we haven't covered them a lot in this Olympics. It's a bad time. Hopefully in the future, as time goes on, we'll get more acquainted and follow that more. So th- there's other podcasts that will do better, especially at this time, but it's something I'd like to learn more about and cover better. 
Going back, uh, Mason, for that Jamaica game, who was your man of the match? Well, this is still true. I, I said this at the time. I still think so. It's it's Hoppy. Um, but look, thinking more on it, Acosta was really good, too. Yeah. But I'd still give it to Hoppy. Um, Acosta's a close run second, I think. For me, Robinson would be the other shout out. Uh, but I just have to say Hoppy. Uh, if for nothing more than just the spark that he gives this team, mm-hmm. uh, people were equating him to what Clint Dempsey gave to the team. He's not that good yet. He's still only like 20 years old. Yeah. I mean, the Gold Cup's the first time professionally he's played in front of fans in his career. He's got a lot to learn, but he's got something to him. There's a fight, a spark, and a want-to-go sort of attitude, and he tries stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, he's an okay one. We'll agree on this game with that. So that wraps up this episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. Uh, If you're listening to this, go ahead and follow us. Please rate and review. It's very important. It'll be important, especially when we get into what this podcast is really about, which is following St. Louis City Soccer Club. We haven't forgotten. No, we just don't have a lot of news. But this gives us something to start and to talk about. Uh, We're building up in some thoughts and opinions on what we'd like to see out of St. Louis City SC as they go forward. We need more news, just not a lot. It's so early yet. We'll have a lot more, especially after World Cup qualifying, expecting more. And then really this starts after the World Cup in 2022 in Qatar. Uh, That'll be January before the season starts. That's when things will really start ramping up for our podcasts on the home team. But uh, that's it for now. Thank you for joining us. And uh, bye for now.